Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Some of you know that I have a fascination with stories that include miracles related to healing. I am not altogether sure where it comes from, but for decades I have been drawn to people and narrative accounts that involve some aspect of what we describe as miracle healings. Perhaps my fascination with miracle healings is because my father was raised a Christian scientist. He came from a long line of healers in that tradition. Christian scientists believe we are made in the image of God and sustained through God's healing power alone. So that generally means that they do not accept medical care or medicine for themselves, instead relying almost exclusively on the belief and power of healing prayer. And as much as I don't completely understand that particular articulation of Christian discipleship, I have immense awe and respect for the healing ministry of my relatives, especially those like my aunt who is trained as a Christian science practitioner. They are powerful and faithful witnesses to God's presence in their lives and deeply faithful followers of Christ. Or perhaps my fascination with miracle healings comes from someone I learned about when I was in my 20s and have been thinking about and researching ever since. As a young seminarian eager to explore this area of Christian faith, I was introduced to the life and ministry of Catherine Kuhlman. Born in 1907, Kuhlman was a self-described, quote, born-again evangelical healer, unquote, she had an amazing life, becoming one of the first and most famous female tele-evangelists, following on the heels of Amy Semple McPherson. Her story captivated my imagination over the past 35 years, and I have quietly collected all of her writings, interviews, recordings of her television broadcast and public appearances. I have a long-term dream of writing a show about her ministry, both on and off camera, culminating with a recreation of one of her evangelical healing services, a revival of sorts, where the audience will be members of the congregation gathered to see and witness her faith and ministry. Over the years, I have wondered if my fascination with Catherine Kuhlman's life is less about whether or not she was a charlatan, as some have posited, and more about our very human need and desire to live lives as healed and holy, however we define those terms. So perhaps my fascination with miracle healings is actually much more simple and vulnerable and transparent in reality. Truth be told, I think I want, or maybe even more accurately, I need to believe in miracles, large and small. We seem to be living through an onerous time of disasters right now, the continued pandemic, 
the difficult ending of a 20-year war in Afghanistan, the devastation of multiple hurricanes and tropical storms now leaving so many without basic resources. I need to keep alive the possibility when all hope seems to perish, for whatever reason, that there is in fact something more powerful, more possible, more potent and imminent than what we can conjure up or fabricate on our own. Perhaps you have that need as well. Not a need couched in a desire for some magical hocus-pocus, now you see it, now you don't kind of reality, but the actual need to cultivate an ability to see and encounter ways of living and moving and being in the world that take us through difficult, if not seemingly impossible, times. So what do we do when we are overwhelmed by tragedy and how to make sense of miracle stories like the ones we just heard in the gospel today? Who among us can hear stories like these and not engage in some kind of mental gymnastics in order to find some kind of relevant truth for our own lives? Is it even worth wrestling with a gospel story like this today when it seems so far out of our reality? Well, I believe it is. I believe it is because I contend that we still need miracles today, perhaps more now than ever. Many of you have heard me say this before. I believe there is often deep and meaningful truth to be found in the stories and traditions that we bear, regardless or not of whether these events described literally empirically happened are and are provably true. To that end, I am inviting all of us to actually spend the month of September reading Marcus Borg's wonderful book, reading the Bible again as if for the first time, taking the Bible seriously but not literally. Then I want us to gather for three times in the month of October for what I hope will be some lively conversation on this very topic. So today seems like a good day to explore what miracle healings might mean in our lives. And to do that, I want to spend a little time with the gospel lesson that we just heard from Mark. Commentaries on this passage underscore it as, quote, a singularly difficult passage to understand because Jesus does not act like the Jesus we have come to know and love, unquote. Put another way, we could easily describe Jesus' reaction to the Syrophoenician woman as, well, just plain rude. Here is a woman who is simply pleading on behalf of her sick daughter for a healing, and in turn, he calls her a dog. Wow. Really? Much has been written trying to correct this inconsistency with Jesus' otherwise uber-patient and generous demeanor. But maybe, just for today, we might want to let Jesus' full hang humanity actually hang out a little and just let him have less than a stellar moment. After all, in words just before this in the gospel, he has admitted to needing a break. I actually find it refreshing to see that even Jesus can have a bad day from time to time. 
What I am more interested in today, though, is exploring the healing ministry Jesus lived into every day during his short time among us. We hear two of these accounts this morning in the gospel, but there are many healing miracles throughout the New Testament, and I think they have something profound to offer us still today. So I have three thoughts, three thoughts to share this morning about Jesus's healing ministry overall. Each can be summed up in a single word, and each word represents what I think is a core value, ways of being in the world I think that we value as well. And with each word, I also have a question, a question calling us to consider how Jesus's ministry might further inspire and ignite our own lives of faith in this community. The first word and core value is acceptance. Jesus never once denied or challenged the presence or reality of an illness when someone came to him for a healing. Whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, Jesus started from a place of acceptance. How do we extend that value as well? And when do we fall short of offering that kind of acceptance to someone who comes to us? Are we a community that embraces with others all their pain and illness and brokenness and doubt and struggles at times? I have seen great examples of this core value at Trinity and pray that we live into it more and more. So imagine, imagine someone comes here either through Trinity at home or Trinity at 316 for our in-person worship and realizes very quickly that we are different. What would that mean? What would that actually look like? Maybe it will mean that while we are a community able to connect and celebrate God's expansive, joyous love in our lives, that we are also able to share when we are broken, confused, ill, sad, full of doubt or hurt some of the time. Maybe we will be able to communicate clearly that we love our tradition and sometimes there are things about it that drive us crazy. How do you think a visitor's experience here among us would be impacted by our ability to show and to live out of the kind of acceptance that Jesus modeled again and again? The next word and the next core value is inclusion. Jesus was the original opportunity healer. Seriously, Jesus never once denied anyone healing because of their situation or circumstance. He did not discriminate on the basis of class, race, economics, political affiliation, gender identity, marital status, all the things that in any kind of first century context would have had enormous impact on how people interacted with each other. How do we extend that value as well today? And when do we fall short of extending that value? Are we a community that is intentional about radical inclusivity? How can we make, that our, make sure that our physical presence, our emotional landscape, our words and our rituals and our actions all reflect invitation and inclusion? 
As a liberal and progressive expression of Christianity in a downtown setting and now online, I think we do pretty well to invite and include those who live on the margins, however that word is defined. Maybe it's people for whom the church has hurt in the past, or those who may be struggling to find economic stability or employment. Maybe someone who is trying to throw the monkey of addiction off of their back. Still, we have our struggles at times with inclusion here in this community. I wonder how we can remain true to our other core values while also welcoming those who articulate perspectives we feel are offensive or misguided. It's a challenge. It is a real challenge, and I hope that we will stay true to the course of strengthening that core value. It is, after all, a Jesus imperative. The thing of this thing of working through our own biases and pre preferences in such a way that other people can be seen and heard and included. It is who and what we are called to be, day after day. Imagine someone comes here for the first time again, either in person or online, and sees that even though they were raised in a very different religious tradition or perhaps no tradition at all, or simply from a more conservative tradition, that somehow, yet somehow, because of who we are and because of how we have welcomed them, they want to come back and they want to learn more about this way of following Jesus this way of living and loving and being in the world. How do you think their experience among us would be impacted by our ability to show and live out that kind of inclusion, the kind of inclusion that Jesus modeled again and again? And finally, the last core value, the last word that I see expressed through all of Jesus's healing ministry is urgency. Jesus didn't waste time or stand on formality. He was ready to say yes, to extend his hand, to roll up his sleeves, to sit with those who wouldn't be sat with, to invoke the power of God's healing, love, and compassion, and to get about it, whatever the it was. We can learn a lot from this core value as well. Oh, sure, we need to be cautious and prudent in ministry, there is value in planning and processes and taking time to include others in decisions and sharing the work. There is also, though, something very seductive at times in choosing a path that keeps us safe and perhaps at arm's length from simply getting about it and doing the work of opening our hearts to the miracle that might be just around the corner. If having a sense of urgency is a core value for a Christian community, then I believe we are called to stretch beyond our comfort zones more often than not. Being inconvenienced for the sake of another and then realizing how much you have received in return may in fact be a kind of healing miracle in and of itself. Again, imagine someone steps into this community for the first time or maybe for the first time again after a long time of being away. And someone here asks them about their life and then really, really listens. It may sound small, I know, at first, but I hope that you understand that there are times and places in our lives 
where we just need to be heard. Jesus modeled that for us through his healing ministry, and I believe that we are called to do the same for others. So our three values today that I see expressed throughout all of Jesus' healing ministries, acceptance, inclusion, and urgency, these are three of the things that I think that we are called to today as well. They are also core values, and I see us trying to live into them here as we move forward together, finding ways over the past almost two years now of needing to stay connected while we have been physically apart. That in and of itself to me is a kind of healing miracle as well. So what about any of this resonates for you today? Are there places in your life where you're needing a healing miracle? Could you open yourself to the possibility that a healing miracle might be less about the removal of illness or the undoing of a tragedy and instead maybe be the gift of wholeness found through companionship or peace in the midst of a difficult struggle? Or what about discovering courage to face into a problem you have been avoiding and letting a new perspective lead you right into a healing miracle? Or what about simply connecting yourself honestly and deeply with someone you trust to speak the words you need to hear the most? Theologian and prolific writer Henry Nouwen said it well when he wrote this, When we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or even cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. My beloved friends, that's what I hope for this community I hope that for this community, we continue to be there for each other and for others out in the world, a place and a people willing to walk and listen and learn and love in the way that Jesus did day after day. May we seek out someone this week who needs the miracle of a friend's presence in their lives. May we refrain from giving advice or solutions or even a cure. May we instead Offer that warm and tender hand, resting in the assurance that in that moment, it very well may be that our very presence is God's love in disguise, the kind of love that the world may never understand, but the kind of love that this world truly needs. May it be so.